It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Well, thanks for joining the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this week we're going to take you through some of my thoughts on the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. Uh, You're going to hear my full conversation with Sandra Smith. She is the anchor, co-anchor with John Roberts of America Reports and just one of my favorite people at Fox wonderful person, amazing successes, and I think you'll learn a lot about Sandra and her background, and I I look forward to chatting with her, and I I hope you enjoy that conversation. But first, let me give you a little riff on the news. Today, I'm I'm, I'm a little fired up, still worried about this COVID relief funding. You know, I, I do believe there is there is some relief in some industries that had to happen. Uh, some people with COVID were going through some exceptionally difficult times. But when President Biden said, quote, this historic legislation, which was the COVID relief, is about rebuilding the backbone of this country and giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, people who built the country, a fighting chance. That was the president's quote. And that was the basis in large part of the $1.9 trillion, in addition to the other relief packages that have been put in place, trillions of Americans' dollars. And by the way, let's try to put in perspective what a trillion is. If you spent a million dollars a day every day, it would take you nearly 3,000 years to get to one trillion. And so you think about the trillions of additional dollars that the government is spending and it was all sold on the idea that we got to help the average person. we got to help the, the person, according to President Biden, who built the country to have a fighting chance. Well, through some of the work that I've done with some good folks at the Government Accountability Institute, somebody I have a, also have a relationship with, been looking deeper into how the money is actually being spent. And guess what? You're going to find your tax dollars, the money that is pulled out of your pocket in order to give to somebody else, wasn't all this this COVID relief that the Democrats and that Joe Biden sold as, oh, it's going to help rebuild the backbone of this country. Let me give you a sense of where some of this money is being spent. You're buying scuba gear in Uruguay. Yes, scuba gear in Uruguay. There is uh, $363 million for the USS Boise, which is an attack submarine. Now, our Navy, uh, the Pentagon, may need this asset. I'm all for having a real strong Navy, but that should come out of the Pentagon's budget. Instead, they funded this attack submarine through COVID relief. Instead of this $363 million going to the American people to help them recover, it's going to buy an attack submarine. Now, it'll be built in the United States, and there'll be some jobs in that. But if you are one of the ones who wasn't allowed to go to work or had to have their business shuttered, if you're in the restaurant industry or the travel industry or tourism industry, that's a little different than what Joe Biden said it was going to be for. One of the ones I think I saw when I came across and did some research that probably bugs me as much as anything, the uh, they spent $600,000 of COVID relief money 
to buy two gazebos for Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay. Two gazebos, 20 feet by 30 feet and 16 feet by 20 feet. These two gazebos, they spent $600,000 buying. $24 million American dollars went to Syria to encourage hand washing. $180,000 for ejection seat repairs in the country of Gabon, there in Africa. And $5 million went and was spent in Russia for civil society grants. Now, I don't know what civil society grants are, but I can tell you that $5 million wasn't a grant to go to your city. It went to Russia. And so when you hear these Democrats and they talk about, oh, we have this crisis. Oh, we have to. Now, no doubt the crisis and the pandemic were real. I'm not trying to negate that. But as I wrote about in my book, I have this new book. It's been out a few weeks now. Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. The Truth About Disaster Liberalism is the name of the book. This is exactly the way they roll. They take a crisis, use that crisis as the excuse to do things they wouldn't ever be able to get done otherwise. So you look at the $363 million for an attack submarine. There's no reason why that had to come out of COVID relief other than, you know what, this is fast money. They don't have to go through all the acquisition process. They don't have to go through all the all the check marks that are put in place. They just hand them, write them a check. Hey, it's COVID relief. And this is why you have money for scuba gear and gazebos and ejection seat repairs and all kinds of crazy stuff that probably would have tough time getting funded any other place. It's also why I think the Nancy Pelosi still insists that they have masks on the floor of the house. You know, the only place where the cameras are is where she insists the masks are. Because you don't have to wear masks in other parts of the Capitol complex. Just where the cameras are. Because they want the projection. They want the imagery to the American people to be, hey, there's still a crisis here. Because the Democrats want to pass somewhere between 4 and $7 trillion of additional, they call it sometimes um, infrastructure, but sometimes COVID relief. They just want to keep spending, spending, spending because they believe more government, more control, more of your tax dollars. It equals less liberty, less freedom, and more obligation that your kids, grandkids, and their grandkids are going to have to pay. So that's my little riff on the news is next time you hear about COVID relief and how this is, as the president has stated in the past, oh, this is just the start. This is just the beginning. Let's understand that they've got $600,000 for two gazebos at Gitmo. So don't tell me that the cupboard is bare and that you need more money, but that's just my take on the news. All right, let's go on. It's time to bring on the stupid. Because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, this one we get actually from Reddit. They have a they have a subset there called Choosing Beggars. I saw this on foxnews.com. This was an Oklahoma bride who went to the extremes with her wedding party. She said, quote, and this is the allegation, I handpicked all the dresses for the bridesmaids that will be here, and they will all be size 8. So if you're not a size 8, I recommend hitting the gym. This is what she wrote to them in this screenshot that was up on Reddit. No offense to anyone, but I have had this plan since I was in diapers, and I want it perfect. And on the day of the wedding... The bride is expecting bridesmaids to have short and uncolored nails and shoulder-length straight hair. 
If your hair is short, get extensions, the bride wrote. I mean, this person is off the rails. And uh, I don't know, this one just made me smile, but I thought, this poor dude, this poor guy, what he's getting himself into. And these bridesmaids, are you kidding me? Go hit the gym? Yowza! That, to me, qualifies as bringing on the stupid. All right. Time for some uh, stories from the halls of Congress, which I like to share. Everybody from our daughter who shared some stories and Trey Gowdy and I. But uh, this week, I thought I'd talk a little bit about sleeping on a cot in my office. You know, when I was first elected to Congress, I, um, I, I thought, wow, okay, this is going to stress the budget. Now, members of Congress get a healthy salary. Don't get me wrong. But in order to have... Um, living accommodations in D.C. and back in my home in Utah, I couldn't afford two mortgages, two electric bills, two, you know, all the things that you have to duplicate. That was going to get really expensive. Then I heard from a member of Congress that, hey, you know what you can do is there are a lot of people just put a cot in their office and sleep. And so I kind of did that. In fact, when I showed up in Washington, D.C., I, I bought a cot and in Utah at the Smiths here in Highland. And uh, wrapped it up in a hefty bags and uh, took it off the carriage there on the carousel. Delta, I flew in on Delta. Well, I didn't, you know, you suddenly get a whole spotlight in Washington, D.C. that I didn't necessarily have and wasn't used to in, in Utah. There were reporters there when I landed and there were photographers there and they just, ran with this whole story about my bringing in my cot and next thing was always on the cover of I don't know Politico or one of those Capitol Hill papers and and uh, that that set off a lot of attention Um, I was amazed how many times people would write stories about how I slept in my office well a lot of people slept in their office now in the House of Representatives each member has a sink and they have a toilet we have a loo and uh, and then you walk a couple floors, or if you lived in if you lived if you were in a different building, you'd have to walk down to the house gym. So I did shower every day, um, and uh, it was not the most comfortable thing. But as my wife Julie likes to say, I didn't want you to be comfortable. I want you to come home. And so I did this through the eight and a half years that I was in Washington D.C. It saved the Chaffetz family uh, a lot of money. Um, but I got to tell you, there's some very nice people there in working in the Capitol complex. We had a rule with our staff. That is, they could come in no earlier than 7 a.m. and they had to all be gone by 7 p.m. And believe me, the staff did not complain about that. But that's when I locked my door and just kind of locked myself in my office there. And and when I got back, it's just, you just couldn't be there. Well, there were a couple people I still came in contact with. Um, the guy, and I won't tell you his name. I don't want to put a spotlight on him unnecessarily, but he came in each night to empty the garbages and super nice guy. Now, his life and my life could not be any more different. Um, he grew up in Washington, D.C. And one of my favorite stories about him was, uh, you know, when he came in, I talked to him. We'd have a little conversation, just, you know, hey, how you doing? Get to, you know, what's going on in your life? That kind of thing. And kind of thing where he'd start hanging out with me just a little bit more, just you know, for a few minutes. Nothing, you know, it wasn't like an hour or something. But he was telling me, I said, hey, what's going on? And, and he said, yeah, I'm going to Vegas. And I said, really? You're going to Vegas? He said, he, he ends up, he had never been on an airplane, never really been out of the greater um, Washington, D.C. area. But he found some cheap plane tickets. And he said, 
I think he had $250 cash. So he bought the plane tickets. He was going to Vegas for like this extended three days and $250 cash. And I said, where are you going to stay? And he said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And so <laughs> I'm like, well, be careful because if you gamble all that money, then you're not going to have any money. And he said, but I got a plane ticket back. I'll figure it out. So I was really curious when I came back the following week if he would actually show up. And sure enough, he did. He had the biggest smile on his face. He had never seen or experienced anything like that before. He just thought it was the greatest. I remember that guy because he would carry in his sandwich to eat because he worked overnight and he worked the graveyard shifts. And one time, and we had this good relationship, and uh, the alarm goes off. And, you know, you got an alarm at the Capitol to evacuate. Uh, that you got to take it pretty seriously. So it's like, I don't know, 3, 3.30 in the morning, the alarms are going off. So I jump out of off my cot, put on some clothes, you know, put on my shoes, hat. It was cold outside, super cold outside. So I, I'm one of the kind of last people to get out because I had to get dressed and everything. Well, I see him in the hall and I'm like, hey, you're late getting out. He said, I forgot my sandwich. I can't, I got to have my sandwich. We could be out here a while. And he had in this little Tupperware thing, his sandwich that he had made, his little bologna sandwich. He's the nicest guy. He's like, do you want my sandwich? Do you want to have the other half? I mean, that's the kind of super nice guy that he was. And I just thought, I just love this guy. And I still hope. I think about him all the time. I hope he's still doing well. I appreciate his service and his friendship. And and I was just glad. I said, like, I'm so glad you got this job. This is a good job. And he's like, yeah, I can't lose this job. I can't lose this job. And I said, no, I'll help you. You do a great job. I, you want a recommendation? I'll give you one. And, and uh, I hope he's still doing well to this day. But I did sleep in my office. It wasn't that comfortable. I, I learned to, over time to really hate that thing. Um, but it was also an, an, a necessity for our Chaffetz family. And, uh, and it worked out all right. All right. So now it's time to phone a friend. And I got to tell you, one of the people that I've really gotten to know over the course of time at Fox News is one of my personal favorites is Sandra Smith. She is the real deal. She is the nicest, sweetest person. She's perpetually positive. And she's just, I, I just can't tell you, the person you see on television, she's everybody's, every bit as good. Um in person, she's the, the co-host with John Roberts there on America Reports on Fox News each afternoon. And I think you'll have an opportunity to get to know her a little bit better, and I'll get to know her a little bit better, too. So let's dial up Sandra Smith. This is Sandra. Sandra, Jason Chaffetz. Oh, my gosh. Hello, Jason. <sighs> You are so kind to join me on this podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm very excited for this. It's always good to talk to you. Well, you're one of my favorite people at Fox. I just wish everybody had an opportunity to spend the, the time that I have. You are just like the happiest warrior out Aww. there. You're perpetually happy and you're such a professional at what you do. You're, you're so good. You'd like, I, I got to tell you though, first time I think I met you in person, it was on Outnumbered and we were sitting on the couch back, you know, when we actually got to sit together in <laughs> yes. person. So we're sitting on the couch and um, you're you're sitting there and we're going through and we're talking about something during the commercial and you were like egging me on to say something that was going to be wholly inappropriate <laughs> on television. Me and never. Oh, oh no, gosh. I don't even believe it. I do not remember that, Jason. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I do. <laughs> I'm joking. I can totally see me doing that. And the reason is, is because, you know, in this business, we so infrequently get to talk and stop, stop and talk to each other in the hallways. We're always on the run. You know, just now I walked past Bill Hemmer and I was running to the 15th floor from the 21st floor. And, you know, you want to stop and chat. And you and I over the years have had those moments where we've been able to stop, talk, ask how our families are doing. And I so appreciate that about you um, and just staying connected in that way off camera because I I do think that's important. You know, life is short and it's good to get to know each other. Yeah, it's I I, I wish, you know, that during the whole COVID thing, I think this is one of the things I struggled with. You know, I used to go to New York and be able to interact with people and and then you just see them on the shows. And I I think everybody, that's not just a, a Fox you know, news centric issue. I think it's, I think it's affected so many people in, in, in all their lives, but I got to tell you, we're awfully proud of you because you uh, you have risen the ranks and along with John Roberts, your America reports. I mean, not only does it rate well, but it's just a straight up great show. And so congratulations on that. Everything you just said means so much from you. I respect you so much. And, you know, I came for the conversation. I'm going to stay for the compliments. Thank you, Jason. (laughs) Well, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So I want to go back to talk about the Sandra that a lot of people don't know because, um, you know, you've accomplished a lot and, you know, there's, it's always fascinating to me to talk to people who get to the top of the food chain, who achieve things that most other people don't achieve. And I, it really, it's really fascinating to me to understand like why that happened and how did that happen? Because it's not just an accident. You became, you know, so great down at, at LSU and what you did there uh, in running and, and your success at Fox but let's go back to Sandra, the little girl. Okay. <laughs> Take us back to when you were born mm. and like your first memories and tell me a little, tell us a little bit, if you can give us a glimpse of, of your family and growing up. I believe you were born in a suburb of Chicago. I was, um, the hospital was in Winfield, Illinois. My, my family home was in Wheaton, Illinois. It's a West suburb of Chicago. And I, to this day feel so, I feel so blessed to say that my parents live still in my childhood home, literally the the home I was brought home from the hospital. And yes, they do. And they raised me in that house and they raised me in that town. Um, It was a town filled with cornfields and, you know, a a good Midwestern town. And I believe when I was growing up, it was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most churches per square mile. (laughs) Really? In the entire United States. I would have never guessed that. Yes. And um, so it's really neat to this day, if I go home and visit my parents, I go home to my childhood home. I still have a bedroom with with my school pictures up on the wall and things like that. And my mom insists. I'm like, you know, I'm the youngest of six kids. So I kind of am the only one who still has that bedroom in their house. They've turned, they've done other things. Um, but yeah, so I was born in a Midwest suburb and, you know, I walked to school. I didn't even have to cross the street to get there. It was a really an idyllic little setting. Um, very simple upbringing, but being the youngest of six kids, I think that's where I I was always trying to find my place, find what was my thing. My dad will tell you he was always trying to figure out what it was I was good at sports-wise. He tried me out in so many different sports, volleyball, soccer, you know, basketball, and just nothing really clicked for me. And one thing my dad was always doing when he was a trader on the floor, his big stress reliever was running. And when I was a little kid, little, I was still in grade school, he was training and running marathons all over the country. I mean, he really? was doing Houston, Boston, New York. 
And when he would go for these runs, I'd be like, Dad, can I go with you? And that's kind of when I started my my love of running really young. I think he ran me in my first 5K when I was, I don't know, my mom says I was like four or five years old. I, I think it was more like six years old. Um, but I, th- and that was the time I spent with my dad. Because I didn't, you know, I think a lot of dads are super intimate in their kids' lives these days and they know everything that's going on. My dad was sort of that distant dad who went to work every day. We had dinner together at night, but... I saw spending time with him when I was running at his side, and and he and I sort of bonded over that. So running for me has always been a sport, but also sort of a family bonding experience. That's interesting. Is there something you would talk about with your dad that you didn't talk about in another setting, or are you just running? We were okay with silence, and that happened sometimes too, and and that was meaningful. Um, But yeah, we would like there would be a moment where we'd catch up on something happening at school. Uh, we'd talk about life things. And as I got older and into high school and even college, when I started coming home from college, it was our thing. We'd go out for a long run before a meal or on a holiday in the morning or whatever it was. And that was sort of that was our time together. Um, so that was kind of a, a unique sort of special thing for me because running was more my thing than any of my siblings. So it definitely set me apart as well. So you're running, but what else are you doing as a little girl? I mean, you're like, you know, when you were 10 years old, you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll be on television. That's what <laughs> I'm going to do. Um, I, I, my parents will always tell you I was never shy from a camera. I mean, I was always face up in the camera. My dad had one of those big VHS like uh, video cameras when we'd go on <laughs> camping trips. It was in my face. And um, I always liked to perform for the camera. It was just a thing. Um, but 10 years old, I was spending a lot of time on, you know, I lived in a cul-de-sac. I had a bunch of friends. We would climb trees, uh, ride our bikes through town. Um, but I think that's, you know, I was I was always a good student, and I always wanted to work hard, and I remember that as a kid. I was always doing what I what I needed to do, but I was always looking for something that was uniquely me. Um, and I found that as I just worked really, really hard in school – um, I saw opportunities open. And that was always sort of my life lesson because I'm sure you'll get to this in a, in a bit, but I always say if you're, if you're in the right place and you're working really hard, doors are open all around you. You just have to be, you just have to be, you know, <laughs> your eyes have to be open. You have to wait. You have to, you have to see when that happens because if you're, you're, your nose is down and you're not, you know, seeing that those opportunities are popping up, you're never going to be able to seize them. And I think as a little kid, I was, I was always that kid. I was always looking for what was coming around the corner. Yeah, you know, I think that's, that's really true. In fact, some of the smallest things in your life, I was on the soccer team there in high school in Scottsdale, Arizona, and then they asked for somebody on the, football, on the, on the soccer team to come try out for the football team because they needed a place kicker. Well, guess what? I was the only one that tried out, so guess what? I made it. And it totally changed my life because I got a college scholarship. I you know, went to school. I played football. And it just changed the whole trajectory of my life. Wow. And it was one of those, just like you described, like one of those little opportunities that yep. I wasn't necessarily seeking out, but then it was there. And I thought, yeah, I'll try that. It can and be it life-changing. Worked. Absolutely. So you're running with your dad, but then you started doing it in high school, right? I mean, you, you, Illinois is a big state, a lot of people, and you did pretty well. Thank you. Um, yeah, I ran cross country. It was my first love. And then naturally, once you really get you know, 
once you are excelling in cross country, they they want you running track and field. And so uh, the mile became my thing in um, high school. And then in college, um, it was the 1500 meters, 1600 meters indoor. Um, and it was the 3000 meter steeplechase. Um, <sighs> That's a tough sport. You know, so but, give me like, give us an example. If you're what is your record? It was obviously it was like it how was, fast are you collegiately? It was a sprint. Um, four, four forty was my best time. Um, but girls are now doing like, they're, they're doing just over four minutes now. It's, it's intense how, how much the times have come down. Um, but it was, it was an all out sprint. Like, it's funny how some people say the mile, oh, long distance. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you know, I mean, the gun goes off and you sprint four laps and it is it is aggressive, and there is strategy that you know it becomes a science at that level of competition. It's it's I mean your your there's wind is a factor, you know drafting's a factor. Um, elbows are able to be thrown, and <laughs> um, and I was not shy to do that. No, I never really hurt anybody, but you did have to box people out as a team, and I mean there's crazy strategies at that level, and it is very much a team sport. Okay, but a lot of people run. A lot of people get into track and field, but why Why do you think you were better than, you know, how many other people that were competing? Half of it's just showing up. Um, I um, Sometimes one of my problems was I was more competitive and faster in my practices. We At LSU, we had two-a-days. 6 a.m., we had a practice, which was more of our long-distance practice, and then 1 p.m. And if you can imagine the Baton Rouge heat, 1 p.m. Yeah. on a hot track with no shade, it was intense. I mean, we were doing, uh, for example, one of the hardest workouts we ever did was mile repeats. Imagine sometimes like your, your workouts were like to do uh, 10, 100 you know, 100 meter dashes, like, you know, intervals. This was mile repeats. On some days we were doing eight separate mile repeats with like a couple minutes recovery in between. And it's like 95 degrees out and the sun's beating down on you in Baton Rouge. <laughs> it was some of the like, and I mean, it, tr- it prepped me for life, you know, to make it big picture because I was like, you know, the one thing I always said is like, you're not going to die. You're so healthy. You're so in shape. Like th- the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to, you know, which did eventually happen one day. I I uh, dehydrated. Um, it was it was a significant thing. I don't recommend it. And from that day on, the trainers put me on these salt pills that they're the size of like horse pills. And I would take them before every workout, and it helped your body retain water. Um, but yeah, two a days, and it's 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 rigorous. So why I, I to your question. How did I get to that point? Because I definitely wasn't that good in high school. I was I was the best in my high school, but like right. when you looked statewide, I was not the best. But then in college, I got faster and faster, and I ran for the great coach Pat Henry. He's legendary. He's now at Texas A and M. Um, he won o- over twenty national championships uh, at LSU. He there is something about a great coach that will inspire you. It will bring the fire from within. And he did that for me. He's just, he is amazing. He could lean over the track, Jason, with like a couple words and a little fist pump while I was halfway through my 1500 meters. And like, I would be like so exhausted. And he gives you that little fist pump and you wanted to do well for him. You wanted to impress him. You wanted to win for him. And he was just one of those like life-changing coaches. I mean, in so many different ways, but as far as performance on the track, I mean, he brought the best out of me. There's no doubt. That's interesting, you know, because it's oftentimes those people outside of your family that, that provide that inspiration and, and, 
act as a mentor and do those types of things. But boy, when you're describing running in that Louisiana heat and, you know, it's just reaffirming to me that being a place kicker is just about the best <laughs> job on the planet. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. You know, I didn't have to go run a mile eight times and oh then repeat. Gosh. And yeah, the worst, never was, happened. the worst was if you were late to practice or you missed practice, you, the coach would throw you in with the, with the boys team yeah. and you'd have to like do their workout. And of course, like they were, you know, they were, they were faster, um, but it was harder. And, you know, there's so many different stories like that. So going back to high school and then college, I don't know where, but I mean, you, you started to focus and do things, but you know, a lot of kids, they go off and they're, they're just not focused. And like, why did you, what was, what was happening there in the family? Like, did you get a job early on in life? I mean, what were your parents having you do that was maybe different than all of your friends? Um, I always wanted to work and I always wanted to make money and I always found crazy jobs. Starting in grade school, I delivered newspapers. I like rolled them. I put rubber bands around them. I threw them in a big bag. I put the bag over my shoulder and I rode my bike and I delivered the local newspaper to like five different neighborhoods around my house. Um, (laughs) At what time of the day? And maybe I got like $10 a week. Um, I would do it in the mornings. Um, I would do it for summers and I would do it. So I would do May to September. Um, so I did that a couple of summers. I joined, I, at 15, I had to get special permission, um, to, to go work at a dry cleaners in town. This was like the worst thing I ever did. It was like chemicals and it was like laundry. I'm like, I'm never doing this again, (laughs) but it did pay well. I did that. And then to, to kind of bring this all full circle, I developed this special relationship with my dad that my other siblings hadn't had not. We had this running thing going on. I was the youngest. He spent a little bit more time with me. And like he pointed out that I was kind of excelling in math in school. And he said he was always a math guy. And my dad kind of took me under his wing. After a brief stint, I also in high school worked for the World Trade Center in Chicago. I answered the phones as a receptionist and I wrote letters and things like that. But it got me on the train in summers and I was going down to work downtown with my best friend from high school. But then my dad said, well, Sandra, why don't you just start interning with me downtown. And my dad was a floor trader. Um, I laced up my running shoes and I started working on the trading floors with my dad. Hmm. Um, I was running orders. I mean, it was like, it was kind of obscene when I think about it. Like, I mean, it was a crazy place to be because how old are you at this point? I'm like 17, 18 years old. And all of a sudden, I was learning the ropes. I was learning, you know, stuff most 17, 18 year olds were not exposed to in the, tra- like on the trading floors in like the heyday of t- trading. And I mean, I was a little post heyday of trading, but this is, this was, these were loud, open outcry trading pits in Chicago, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Chicago Board of Trade. These were the commodity trading pits. And then my dad had an office off floor up in the Sears Tower. So it was really cool because it was like my summer job was going to work with my dad. And like I was working in the Sears Tower. I was learning all this crazy stuff. And so it wasn't until I think that I got into like really advanced mathematics classes in college that I realized I was like way ahead of the game, like with knowledge of business, economics, math. And it became my thing. Like, I, you know, I was kind of like a proud nerd about all this kind of stuff. And that's when I really developed my love of business. And, you know, I took really, really specific classes in college. I was like 
advanced calculus to the point where I started tutoring the LSU football players in calculus and things like that. Um, and it, and I realized this was kind of my thing. And and that's that's how I focused my degree in college. And my first jobs out of college were working for hedge funds. And eventually I ended up on a, the only female on an all and only the only female on an institutional trading desk in Chicago. So I kind of went New York back to Chicago, Chicago, back to my roots. And that's where my TV career began, by the so way. So how did you make that leap? I mean, there are, there are a number of people that are working and doing those types of things. And I, I really, I think there's a commonality here that, that, that people that grow up and have their kids take on jobs early, they learn things that everybody else isn't necessarily totally. learning. And, and so... But but you're doing this, but where, how did you make that leap to join Fox Business? I think it was uh, back in 2007, right? Yes. Is that when, but. Well, so when I was on that trade desk, where a lot of things happened on that trade desk, because that's where I eventually met my husband as well. Um, he, he was all of a sudden, this person that was not my husband or even boyfriend yet at the time, he sat near me on the trade desk. And one day I noticed he wasn't there. I looked up in the TV screen and CNBC was on and there popped up this guy on the screen. And I was like, doesn't that guy sit right here? And it was one of the guys on the trade desk, my future husband, who popped up there. And what he did on occasion was he went on CNBC and Bloomberg and he talked about order flow over our trade desk. And that was just what people did. You still see that, right? Some of these traders that still exist, they go up and they do these TV hits. There was a lot more of that in the day because it was essential if you were watching business television and you had investments to know, kind of get color what was happening on the trading floor in a given day, especially if there's a big rally in the S&P, you kind of went to a trader on the floor like, what's happening? Um, So he was doing a bunch of that. I kind of got stars in my eye. I thought I thought that was really cool. And, and when he came back, I was like, that was awesome. He said, if you want to do that sometime. And then my company ended up asking me. He left the company two weeks later. As it turns out, he was already set to. Um, my company said, would you like to start doing that in place of him? He's leaving. I said, oh, my God, I can't. And, of course, I did start doing it. And I was a, a nervous wreck, but I did. And here I was. I was standing in the middle of the S&P 500 trading pits, these unbelievable legendary trading pits in Chicago screaming to a camera that was probably like, I don't know, a good like 150 feet away from me because the camera was (laughs) positioned outside of the trading pits. And you'd have to stand in these loud open outcry. There was guys all around me like hands flailing. And I would scream up to these um, up to the camera and do these hits. And I did this for a few months. And all of a sudden the phone started ringing like producers from Bloomberg and Fox. And they're like, can we get you up to New York? And Bloomberg hired me. And um, that was a huge decision because I had to hang up all these licenses that I got so young that some people don't get till they're like 25, 30 years old. Here I was 23 years old. I had already gotten my series seven. I'd already gotten my series 63, which are all crazy big, you know, licenses to trade other people's money. And um, when I transitioned to the TV world, I had to hang those licenses up. They, I would no longer have a company sponsoring them. Um, so I had to put a lot of thought into it, but the idea intrigued me. It sounded like a crazy adventure, and Bloomberg was a really interesting transition to do that cold turkey because they have such a formal, formal, formal approach to reporting, and I learned the Bloomberg terminal and all those kind of things, and I was there for less than a year, and Roger Ailes called and <laughs> said, I want you to come over to Fox. We're launching the Fox Business Network, and I was there. I left Bloomberg on a Friday 
and then I was there for the the Monday when Fox Business Network launched the the following week. So, I mean, that's where it all started. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Sandra Smith right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So you've been in Fox for for a long time now, but tell us a little bit more, though, about you know, America reports that was a big transition. I mean, it's, it's one thing to do outnumbered, um, but to, <laughs> to, to handle the hours that you do, the intense interviews that you do. And I got to tell you, there are some people at Fox. I just have such huge admiration for who, like, I think of Martha McCallum. I think mm-hmm. of you, I think of Harris Faulkner, people who, when something really bad or really emotional is happening, it's really hard to keep your composure, but you're one of those people. I, I don't know how you do that. Um, thank you for saying that because there are so many moments um, covering the news over the years where you stop and it's, I, I can think of several occasions where, I mean, it's especially if it's anything to do with, uh, as you know, children or it, 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 it can be absolutely brutal or just, you know, there's so the many human emotion. I mean, it's you're a human being and there's there's real drama happening. I remember once I think we were on outnumbered and there was a hurricane and I think it was Griff Jenkins who was interviewing this this woman who mm. was up, you know, waist deep in water and talking about how she lost everything. And, mm. I'm looking over at people on the couch, you know, and we're trying to give some live feedback and I, I'm like getting all teary eyed and uh, it, it's um, it's so difficult to do. I don't know how you do that. So part to that it. point, like you, you mentioned Griff Jenkins, he he's anchoring a lot of shows, but he also he also spent and still does spends a lot of time in the field. And yeah. I think that is critical to any good anchor um, covering the news is I spent years in the field. Um, I spent years as a reporter covering many different beats um, from business to general news. I spent years covering the financial crisis and all right. the people who wiped out in that. Uh, as we spoke about recently, I spent I spent months uh, reporting on Bernie Madoff. Talk about destruction of lives and, and the right. ruining of lives. Um, I saw many people shed tears uh, over that. Um, but over the years, just I've have spent so much time in so many different cities and states talking to the American people, um, seeing how the news we report every day affects them. You know that when you're sitting in a studio in New York reporting the news as an anchor, you know there's more to it than that. You know that there are people on the ground suffering um, when these hurricanes hit. You know that there are people um, weeping tears when their son or, or daughter is killed in a car crash or whatever it is. And you know um, how real that is. And I think that's just incredibly important to to spend that time in the field, to spend that time on the ground as a as a reporter uh, before making that transition. And I and I definitely did that. I, outnumbered was a was an amazing thing as well. I mean, I came off of the, the business network, by the way, where I had a brief stint hosting a 5 a.m. hour on Fox <laughs> Business. And my son was three months old at the time. Oh. I was just off of maternity leave. And we've done the hours. We've done the the, the killer, gruesome days. And it's hard. But I mean, we, we're in this business because we love it. And it means it means so much to us. And we want to do it right. 
Well, I, I it's just, you're doing so well. I mean, and uh, the pairing there with John Roberts, he is he, he's the real deal too, and it shows. And that's I think why the show works works so well. Um, but I want to ask you, uh, what is that other thing? And let me explain to you what I mean. I I find that um, that there there when you look at people who are successful and do things, they have something else that in order to clear their head, get away just don't want to think about work and all the other pressures. What is that other thing that Sandra Smith does <laughs> that just like, you know what? I just got to go out and do this. Not just a hobby, but something that is like, ah, oh, that's that other thing I do that I just personally really enjoy. What is that for you? Lately, it's fly fishing. I think I've spoken with you a bit about this and it's been one of the most amazing things my husband has has introduced me to because you don't really get a true appreciation for it until you get your waders on and you get you stand in those cold rivers mm-hmm. and you're one with nature. The birds are flying all around you. The deer are crossing the you know the fast water up ahead of you, and um, it's it's an incredible experience. I always tell my husband when we go out for several hours. Like he's he'll come over if I haven't caught a fish yet, and he'll try to get me a different fly and then my line. Or, you know, let's try something else. I'm like sometimes I say. I don't even think I need to catch a fish today. Like, I, I'm just so happy yeah. right now. And it really clears my head. Um, so that's something lately that I've um, – I, I think I have a different thing over – like, it changes over the years. Um, running's always been one of those things that's cleared my head. Um, spending time with my kids uh, is definitely one of them. Lately, I'm playing a lot of tennis. Um, but just just about anything where it's just a diversion of <laughs> – what we're all thinking about every day and the news can really be stressful like I don't think everybody else knows all the things that that we have to read and see every day and you know you have to clear your mind so I try to keep a lot of activities at hand and I do like to garden by the way I don't have a ton of time for it but um, I spend a bunch of time up in the Catskills I love trees I love planting. Um, unfortunately, it, with it comes a lot of weeding, but that can be somewhat therapeutic as well. Um, but I do enjoy all those things. I enjoy eating. So if, <laughs> if, if, if you're if you're planting and growing, I'm happy to help you eat those carrots that you're growing. So it's so funny you say that. We just discovered this like honey trap of wild ramps on our property, and they what's a ramp? It's it's like a it's like a leek or a, like it's a cross between a leek and a green onion. Oh, and I can't wait. They only occur naturally. <laughs> like you can't go greenhouse plant these. And so it's kind of a really crazy thing to find them. And um, so that's kind of fun. I've been I've been cooking with those. I'll have to I'll have to send you a recipe or freeze something and send your way. Well, might send it to my wife, Julie, because <laughs> my ability to cook things is limited to eggs and sausage. Oh, I bet you I bet you you make a mean breakfast, Jason. Yeah, eggs. I can crack them with one hand. That's about the only cooking skill that I bring to the table is I remember telling Julie when we were first married that I couldn't I, I couldn't cook anything and and so she was sympathetic to that. Until one morning she caught me in the kitchen and I not only picked up an egg, I cracked it with one hand. She's like, You've been lying to me. Ah! I said, well, I maybe didn't tell you all the things I could but that's about the only cooking skill that I have. Wait, so what's your method? I mean you you one hand on the edge of the counter, the bowl, like what are you doing? I, I usually do it right on the rim of the pan. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just have the dexterity to, to crack it, not get the shell in there and 
pop that egg in there. I love eggs. I love it. Um, but I got to tell you, it, the that other thing, I think that's so important in people's lives. I hope, you know, it's it's um, it's something that goes beyond being just a hobby. For me, I like doing wildlife photography. I know and you I think do. And I did learn to go fly fish when I was like 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And I went up with my Uncle Joe to the Madison River there in Montana. Mm -hmm. And he told me, bring some boots. So I bought some boots. And then the first thing he did when I was there is he cut out some shag carpet. And he glued them to the bottom of these boots. And he said, these are your waders. Get out there. And then he taught me how to fly fish. That's hysterical. Oh, it was just awesome. And you know, when you're 15 years old and you got the cold water, the Madison running up, and you're wearing jeans, um, you don't really care. But now that I'm older in life, I do have a really nice pair of waders. And, you know, out here in the Rocky Mountains, we, we've got some incredible fly fishing. So we'll have to have you out are here. Are you to... Sims or Patagonia? What's your? Do you know the... I am not Patagonia. I'm anti-Patagonia. I can tell you why that. But I am I'm more Sims. I like Orvis. Okay. Um, but yeah, I there's a reason why I just do not like or trust Patagonia. There's something about fly fishing. And if you can teach anybody else to do it, it's a lifelong thing. And I one day saw um, former Vice President Dick Cheney in the uh, green room here at Fox. And I, I, I mentioned fly fishing to him knowing that he's an avid uh, angler. And I, he said to me, and he kind of stopped because he's like, everybody asks me everything else but that, you know. And he stopped. He turned around. And he said, you know, it's the single best thing anybody ever taught him. He said his uncle taught him when he was 11 years old, I think he said. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. said it stayed with him for life. And to this day, it's his most one of the most enjoyable things he does. And I'll also share with you, by the way, that when I sat down just pre-COVID uh, with sitting Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, he also talked to me about his love of fly fishing, and we shared that in common. And it's just a wonderful thing to share with other people. It's really, really a neat thing. Yeah, I think he's got a place out in Colorado. He does. And, uh, and, and he, he's in a great setting to be able to do that. My problem is I got very shaky hands. I have Ooh. an intention tremor, and so did physically. It's just harder and harder for me to do that. It's just one of those things that I That's have. a great point. It takes incredible – I lean on my husband a little bit for that, although I'm, I'm getting a lot better um, at my knots. There's a few key knots that you need to know, and it'll get you through it. But, yeah, it does take a little bit of uh, precision. You know, but, Sandra, this is why I think people just love you. You're, you're so good on television Aww. because you've had all these experiences, and you do all these different things. And it gives you this wide variety and this wide berth to, to go out and, and lean on when, you know, suddenly you're, you know, delivering some really hard news. And what I guess people don't appreciate or I, I've become uh, very appreciative of as you get closer and closer to it is how nimble somebody like yourself and John Roberts and other and Bill Hemmer and those mm -hmm. have to be. It's amazing how smooth you are when things are happening in real time and you're reading scripts sometimes for the first time or you're having to ad lib and people don't think you're ad libbing it's it's an incredible talent so congratulations hats off to you i have to say day made everything you're you're making me feel so good and you are a true friend and i know over the years you and i have been able to have conversations off camera. Um, I wouldn't dare share much of that um, without talking to you, but I know that your mother was a big influence in your life. And I love that you shared that. I'm, I don't know if you remember this. We were in the old outnumbered green room when you told me a lot about your upbringing and the influence that your mom had on your life and 
obviously still does to this day. Um, but she was somebody very special to you. And I love that you shared that with me. And it just, I think, I think that authenticity, um, from, from people like you, it, it comes through and to learn where you come from, like we're doing right now, it's, it's a beautiful thing to stop and do this sometimes. Yeah, I think so. It's a, you know, different than the hardcore questions we get day in and day out, but you know what, Sandra? I'm about to ask you some rapid questions that Let's uh, go. Are, you, you can't prepare for these. I don't care how many times you've run the mile in like, you know, <laughs> two minutes. It's just, uh, okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Well, you're definitive. That's, that's, <laughs> in, that's impressive. Broccoli, I, I'm right there. My favorite answer, and I keep telling everybody this, is when I asked Madison Cawthorn his favorite vegetable, and he said, water chestnut. <laughs> I'm like, what? Is that a vegetable? <laughs> We've, I, I don't know. I still don't know what it is. It, it's not a fruit, is it? I mean, is it a legume? I don't know what it is. But I thought it was, he was so definitive. And I'm like, water chestnut? What the? <laughs> I'm inclined to think answer. it's a legume. I think so, but I don't know. I <laughs> okay. still don't know. All right. Most embarrassing moment. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, we've only got, we've only got a limited amount of okay. time here. Um, so. uh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, most embarrassing moment. So while you're thinking of that. Right now. I, I've, told, <laughs> I've told my friends, I've told on this podcast a few times, I have this friend, his name is Mike Maurer. And his answer to this is, my most embarrassing moment? Well, that's 6th through 12th grade. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. I know that I've been embarrassed many times in my life. Coming up with that one moment is difficult. Well, I do remember you trying to go get your driver's license renewed, and you were so frustrated with the state of New York trying to get your driver's license oh my taken care of. I don't know if that was your most embarrassing moment, but I do remember that. Was it two years ago or something like that? It was funny. Oh, I was laughing. Wait, how many times, how long, how hard it was for you to get your driver's license? Um, I never, ever want to have to go to a DMV again, <laughs> again, ever. And, <laughs> and I don't even know where I was in the city, but it was somewhere I just did not even feel safe. And the lines, the lines, the lines. It's so funny you remember that. I remember coming back from that day being like, I can never lose my license ever, ever again, because I can't put myself I mean, in it that. was all, you were having trouble at, for some reason. I thought it was pretty funny. I was pretty, I was very entertained by this enough so that I still remember it a couple years later. So. Oh, um, so I, I, I'm thinking of a most recent time and it's COVID related when I was embarrassed and I walked in to get my, I had built up all the excitement. I told my co-anchor, John Roberts, um, who you've been talking about, awesome, awesome guy. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm going, I told all the producers, I'm going to get my second shot. And I went over to the Javits Center here in New York at this huge buildup. I've got my folder and here I go. And this can be a monumental day in my life. And then I had the wrong day. The, the, the National Guard were so awesome. I walked up and they looked and they said, you got the right day. You got the wrong date, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and they were Whoops. so cute, too. All right. Uh, what did you dress up last for Halloween? That is when you, what is Halloween? When's the last time you dressed up and what did you dress up as? I was an angel. My daughter was a devil and I was an angel. I do remember this. <laughs> Last October, I dressed head to toe in white. I had a halo and yeah, long white dress, white shoes. I was an and angel. And your daughter was the devil. That's pretty She good. told me what to do. And I was like, I think it should be the other way around, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. All right. Best advice you ever got? Um, um, 
Um, I would definitely say um, it is to be yourself. I don't mean to say be cliche, but a lot of us lose who we are. Um, Be true to yourself, um, no matter what you're doing, personal, professional life, um, you know, and always be honest with yourself. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. All right, favorite menu item at Taco Bell? Oh my God, I haven't been to a Taco Bell since I was like in high school. Sandra, what are you talking? That's like the best Mexican food there is. Literally, it would be high school is the last time I had Taco Bell. Okay, just next time you're at a Taco Bell, order the I can still tell you what I liked. I was one of those weird people who liked like a bean burrito. Like I didn't like the beef at Taco Bell. Like So I was like anything without the beef in it. I'm, I'm with you. Bean burrito, add sour cream, no onions. <laughs> oh, my God. How often do you go? <laughs> how many times a day? Yeah, how or... many times a day do you go to Taco Bell? <laughs> well, I try to limit it to one. <laughs> oh, my God. I never knew this about you. Noted. Have you seen me lately? I'm having a Taco Bell party for Jason Chaffetz <laughs> next time he's in town. Well, I, I know where they are, even in, in Manhattan. All right. Uh, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? No. I knew that I really liked you. That is good Wrong. for you. That just should not happen. Agreed. All right. Person you'd most like to meet, dead or alive? Most like to meet, dead or alive. Wow. That's just a big one. Um, I, gosh, this is good, Jason. I'm stumped. I have had so many different answers. It's hilarious. I, so... I'm not letting you off the hook on this one. You get to meet one person. We're not going to hold you to it. You're asking spontaneously. I'm not giving you 20 minutes to think about it. But Is it like an interview? Or is it like meet. a... Yeah, hang out, have dinner, talk. I want to have a conversation with this person. Oh, my God. Now, for me, it was Benjamin Franklin. I That was one that I thought of. I thought, you know, uh, that guy, what an amazing life. And one of the funniest guys, too. All right, I'll go back to Samil. Yeah, let's 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 go back to uh, dead or alive. It's got to be a president. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, honest Abe. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Let's well, do it. Illinois, you know. You yeah, got some exactly. Roots there. Go back to my roots. All right. Uh, first concert you ever attended? Um. Uh. Oh my gosh, what was her name? I saw at, uh, Sheena Easton. I went to a Sheena Easton concert. Sheena Easton. Oh my god. Um, oh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Country Pat music Benatar? star. No, Pat Benatar. Cher? Pat Benatar sat on the outnumbered couch one day with her husband. By the way, they were our really. Woman. Yeah, she was fantastic. She was. She was amazing. Um, Martina McBride. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Uh, most famous person from your high school. Um. Um. I know this answer. I have cheated because I read your. I have done the homework on this. I, I, I you, believe you're going to go with Hubble. Is that right? Well, he's one. As best I can tell, you're like the fifth most famous person from your high school. That, now, this was about two minutes of research. So you had astronomer Edwin Hubble. Yeah, Edwin Hubble, yeah. Yeah. You had football player Red Grange. Oh, yeah, Red Grange. Wanted, oh, yeah. But come on, the biggest two. Who? John Belushi and oh, Jim Belushi. absolutely. I'm so sorry. You're absolutely The Belushi right. brothers went to your high school. And not only that, my friends in high school lived in the Belushi's house, and there was a door that they carved their name and initials into in the whole nine, and they left it that way. That's cool. So I've been to their childhood home. 
the Belushi brothers went to your high school. The That's Belushi like brothers those, went I'm to sorry, but Sandra Smith, you're a very famous person at this point, <laughs> but not to the level of John and Jim Belushi. I know. <sighs> childhood crush. You Who did was your homework. first childhood crush? My first childhood crush? Are we naming names? Well, like the celebrity crush. Oh. No, not like <laughs> Bob, my next door neighbor. No, not that. I don't know. I, I think it was like the movie Home Alone, like Macaulay Culkin when he was like nine years old or something. You thought that guy was like the hotness that stirred the inner feelings? I was like Macaulay eight. Culkin. All right. We're going to write that one down. That's you, You've got uh, the best answer yet because yeah. that's the lamest one I've heard. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. I bet he'd be glad to hear that. All right. Um <laughs> All right, I got two more questions. <laughs> if you met Bigfoot, what would you say? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what would you ask him? Come on, you ask people questions for a living. And you met Bigfoot. He shows up on the set. What do you ask him? I don't know. What size are your shoes? <laughs> what size are your shoes? That's question number one. How big are your feet? <laughs> well, you are Bigfoot, so how big are they? I don't know. What by the way, what would you ask? What have you been doing the last hundred years? <laughs> like, how old are you? Amazing. Where did you live? Was that really you on that video or not? <laughs> are you uh, like, are you big on Bigfoot? I, the UFOs and Bigfoot, I just, I cannot get enough of them. See, I these just, are things the we Bigfoot need to thing know just, about Jason Chaffetz. Big, I, Bigfoot is just awesome to me. The whole industry around Bigfoot just cracks me up. And these it. UFO stories... Like I'm really fascinated. Are they this. real? I don't know. I think there are. Well, I think there are very. There are a lot of unexplained things, mm -hmm. and I'd like to figure that out. I'd like to know what the government knows. My friend John Radcliffe, who became the director of national intelligence, knows a lot, and that guy won't spill the beans. I keep asking him too. I'm like, come on, John. Like, come on, tell me. He's like, I can't. I, I won't tell you. That that's the, the oath I took. And I'm like, ah. It's amazing that you ask though. <laughs> oh, I totally ask him, and he never says a word. I like he it. was like the perfect pick for the DNI because he won't spill the beans on anything. And it's anyway. Oh. All right, last question: Who's your favorite former member of Congress residing in Utah's third congressional district? Jason Chaffetz. Oh, good answer. We wanted to end on a high note. You bet. Sandra Smith, it's always good to talk to you, and thank you so much. Congratulations on your great career, and you got this wonderful, beautiful family. Thank and, you. And uh, and America Reports on Fox, you've seen her, and uh, I think you'll have a whole new appreciation of her and her love of Macaulay Culkin. So. I, I appreciate you, Jason. I feel like I feel like this was like therapeutic. I feel like better after this. I feel, <laughs> we should do this all the time. Well, good, because not everybody does. So Aww. thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Again, I can't thank Sandra Smith enough for just being a good friend, good, decent human being who's just one of the most patriotic people I know. And I just, that was a great conversation with her. And and uh, I'm glad you got a chance to listen in on it because uh, she really is just the real deal. All right. A little bit of inspiration as we kind of close out today. And I got this from foxnews.com. I've seen the video. I hope you've seen it too because there was a deputy in Virginia who suddenly gets this call. And this is what I love about law enforcement. You know, first responders, it's just absolutely amazing what they do and how they do it. These are the unsung heroes 
that, you know, quite frankly, if he didn't have a body cam on, we, we probably wouldn't hear or see much of this story. But I know these types of stories have happened through the years, and they might happen today. But it suddenly gets this panicked call that there was an overturned car to free a woman who was pinned underneath. An officer in Gloucester County, he's part of the sheriff's office, and it was Deputy John Holt. So he's my hero for the day because you not only see him running up, you hear a kid screaming because part of the a woman was pinned under the car. And you hear the dispatch that dispatchers say it's flipped upside down and so when he comes runs up the scene and you can hear him grunt and he literally lifts this car off of this woman i don't know how he has the superhuman strength to do this but for him to respond get there so fast jump into action have the personal strength and the adrenaline that's helping him along the way pull that car up because her head was helped kind of pinned under the car that to me is inspirational. And you know what? There are people like that that do things with car crashes, emergency room workers. I cannot thank those people enough. And particularly to Deputy John Holt, tip of the hat to you because that is inspirational. Well done. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Jason in the House podcast. You can find more from the Fox News Podcast Network over at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would be so kind as to check those stars and subscribe, we would really, really appreciate it. I'd also review the podcast. Hope you liked it. We'll be back next week with more of the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for listening. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.